What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And a big thank you, as always, to you wonderful people out there who keep this podcast going with your support, either as an academy on the Bestseller Academy or our patrons on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Uh, if you want to find out more about the academy, go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. You get me and Mr. D as your personal tutors, all sorts of wonderful stuff. Uh, now, if you support the podcast, you get access to our deep dives. We've had a run of absolutely brilliant deep dives recently. Recently. We were speaking to Stuart Gibbon about police procedurals in the UK. We were talking to Jenny Garras about Bookature. Uh, we've got some amazing stuff coming up as well. We've had ones on TikTok, on ADHD, on screenwriting, on forensics, all that good stuff. So uh, go check it out. Mr. D, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm getting very excited, Mark, because we've got the monthly, we've got the uh, 200 words a day in May Ooh, challenge yes, 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 coming yes. up which yeah. I'm super excited about. For anyone that missed last week's episode or didn't make it quite to the end of the episode, we have a new challenge for you. Can you write 200 words a day every day in May? And if you can, we're going to shout about your successes on this podcast. We're going to celebrate them. And it's very, very simple. All you do is you just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment, click on the 200 word challenge link and sign up. And this is, this is, this is one of these brilliant brilliant ideas that if you to win it you just have to write 200 words a day but if you want to write 50,000 words in a month or 25,000 words go for it you go for it and we're going to shout about that as well but to win the challenge in May you just have to write every day in May a minimum of 200 words so join in the fun this is going to be the beginning of something I think very very special Mr. Stay very special indeed Uh, a couple more dates for your diary now this week 27th of April the Unwelcome Spoiler Special. So if you've seen my film Unwelcome, I'm sure you've got questions about it. Well, they're going to get answers and we're going to have some special guests. So we might be getting the director, John Wright, along. I know he's busy. Uh, VFX supervisor, Paddy Eason, who's worked on Harry Potter and Bond movies and all sorts of great stuff like that. Cinematographer, Hamish Doyne Dipmas. He's worked on some massive films as well. And our first AD, Terry Bamber, his first movie... The Man with a Golden Gun. Uh, and we got the actor Rick Warden, who's been in shows like Band of Brothers and HBO's Rome. And he was our, he's our red cap wrangler. So we're getting all those along to answer your questions. It's going to be really, really good fun. Another date for your diary is uh, Unwelcome's coming on Blu-ray in Region A. So that's North America, South America, Japan, South Korea. Not in the UK. I'm not sure we're getting mm. a DVD or Blu-ray in the UK, but it's coming in uh, on Blu-ray in and DVD in the States and Region A because Blu-rays are all locked to certain territories uh, for various reasons. Yeah, tell me about so, it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. 
So yeah, so check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check that out as well. Brilliant. And and if it's before midday in the UK on the Monday, uh, and you're listening to this oh, podcast, yeah. or it's even I think Sunday. Some people get to hear the podcast on Sundays in North America because it comes out eight hours earlier. In mm. quotes, um, there's still a chance to pop along today on Monday to listen to an amazing presentation that Mark's going to give um, on what now, what next when you've written your book, or if you're planning to write a book, starting to think about what you might want to do once you've written it. This is going to be a great opportunity for you to um, come into the Academy as a guest and uh, and listen to um, a great presentation with a really uh, great Q&A session at the end where you can ask yeah. all your burning questions as well. I'll be there as well. So join us both. And the way to get involved in that is if you're in the Academy, you've already know about it because we've sent you our weekly newsletter with all the information. If you're a patron, you will already know about it because you've received it. But if you're not a patron or Academy member, then sign up to either of those um, right now and you can join us at midday UK time uh, sorry 8pm UK time midday PST West Coast now Mark we're going to dive straight into this uh, credible interview we've got this week tell us about our special guest Amita Parikh uh, was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, uh, but she studied in uh, London as well. And uh, she she did things like did the Royal Court Theatre's playwriting program, and she works in the tech industry as well. And Circus Train is her first novel, and it's a wonderful novel. And the story of how it came about is just extraordinary. Uh, so we discuss creating mood boards for character, what she learned from uh, creating characters for theatre, and why writers should not be victims. Victims. Brilliant. So let's listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely lovely Amita Parikh. Amita Parikh, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm great, Mark. How are you? Thank you for having me. Very good indeed. It's great to speak to you. I'm very excited about your debut novel, The Circus Train. And there's, it's got a hell of a story as to how it came to be published. And we'll talk about that in, in, in a moment. But please tell us about The Circus Train. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, we just talked briefly and, you know, I spent six years writing it. So it's hard to sum it up in a sentence. But it's, essentially, <laughs> it's essentially the story of a young girl named Lena, who uh, her father is an illusionist. They live on board uh, a luxurious circus train that crisscrosses Europe. Uh, Lena is a wheelchair user and she feels a bit out of place in this circus world. But then her life is turned upside down when she rescues a stowaway she finds on board one day. Perfect. Absolutely brilliant. And this is the thing that so many authors find so difficult is you can work for six years in a book and all that work and blood, sweat and tears and toil just gets crammed into one tiny, tiny paragraph. Yep. Have you had to practice that very often? Has, has it taken I you have. a while to get there? And Yeah. And it's taken a long time. I think some people think that it just comes to us naturally. Maybe <laughs> it does for some writers. It did not come to me naturally at all. It was a lot of a lot of effort. Okay, well, let's talk about those six years to publication. How how did it? How did you start with uh, the circus train? Where where did the idea come from? Yeah, so I started with the characters actually. So I always knew I wanted to tell a story about uh, a father who is a magician or an illusionist and his daughter. Uh, I love magic. I've just loved it since I was a kid. And so I wanted to explore um, the idea of what's real and what's not, both within a relationship. Uh, but also in the realm of magic. Um, and so I had the characters, but I didn't know what time period. I didn't know they were going to live. I didn't know what they were going to do. And I uh, I got lost one day when I was living in London, uh, looking for the tube, as one does. Easily and done. <laughs> I, stumbled, I stumbled upon a, uh, a Greek cultural center that I didn't even know existed. 
And so I went in and was asking them for directions. And I saw a notice for a lecture about Greece's involvement in the Second World War that they were having the following week. So I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. And I've just always loved history um, just out of pure fun. You know, I'm, I'm a huge history buff. So I went back the following week and I learned all the stuff about, you know, the occupation of Greece during uh, the Second World War. I really, apart from Captain Corelli's Mandolin, I couldn't remember any books mm -hmm. that had necessarily been written about it in depth. Actually, maybe Victoria Hislop, or Hyslop, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She might have written yes. a bit about it, but I haven't read them. Um, so I just thought, you know, the war, we often, growing up in Canada, um, but then also having parents who grew up in England, like I would get sort of the Canadian and the British side of things and to some extent the American, but it was a world war, right? And so mm -hmm. there were so many things I didn't know. So I thought, okay, I'm going to explore Greece. They're going to live in Greece. And the tension is going to be that, you know, the father, Theo, can't perform because of the war that's going on. So that's where it started. But as you know, it changed dramatically over the course of the six years. Absolutely. I'd like to come to that in a second, but... Have you ever thought, if you hadn't got lost that day, if you hadn't stopped and asked for directions, would this novel even exist? No. I mean, I think it would it would exist in the sense that Theo, who's who's the father, and Lena, who's our main character, they would exist in some place, somewhere. But it, I don't think it would have been this story. So, I mean, that was just sort of the case of serendipity, I guess. Really, it really is. Yeah. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So, yes, the the book did change over time. I think initially it was. Am I right in thinking it was just set in Greece to start with? Yeah, it was just set in Greece, and then it it went to a different location, um, kind of for the latter third of the novel. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, so no. I won't talk about that. But yeah, it was in one place, and it's called the Circus Train. The train didn't exist for I would say the first four years of writing it, working on it. Really? Wow. So what yeah, was it? What was yeah. it before then? What sort of dead ends were you going down before you? you yeah. Could... So it the original title was The Illusionist Daughter. So it was very much, you know, still about kind of Lena's story and her journey. But it was like I said, they were living in Greece because they were there during kind of the occupation and they couldn't leave and they couldn't move. And it was, I would say it was a little more true to life, to be honest, because the thing with the train and kind of traveling around Europe during a war is the reality is that it really wouldn't have been possible. I mean, initially it could have been, and this sort of does happen a bit in the book too, where, you know, you can see it building, you can see the stakes getting higher and higher where yeah. they're traveling they're getting stopped more and more. And then performers are leaving because they're worried about their livelihood and, and whatnot. So, but they still wouldn't have been able to go as much as they did. So I did take liberties in the final version, but essentially, you know, I fit, I finished writing the book many times with it set kind of just in Greece and then, you know, in another location, the train didn't exist, nothing. And the feedback I was getting from agents was, we like it. There's something here. It's not enough. Like, and especially by the end, I think people kind of thought the beginning was good, but then they're like, there's not enough tension. Um, it's just falling a bit flat. And that's hard to hear as a writer. <laughs> yes, it is. How did you, how did you, I think a lot of people might have given up or written something else, but you stuck with this. What what was it that kept you going and, and what were the key changes that you made? Yeah, so it sounds a bit cliche to say I just believed in the characters, but I did. I did think there was a story there, even if 
I hadn't quite figured out the kernel of it. Um, but what's funny is I, I did end up writing something else. So I'll get back to that in a second. But okay. what happened was I kind of, you know, had gotten another round of feedback. I think I went through three or four rounds of submitting to agents with different versions and they were all lovely. I mean, they took the time to give me feedback, uh, very supportive, but ultimately nobody said yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was going through kind of what isn't hitting right with everybody. And I thought, okay, well, if there's not enough tension or conflict, I'm like, what would make it worse? What would, what would really elevate this story? And I, and one thing that had never really sat well with me when I started writing, it was the idea that uh, Theo, who's this magnificent illusionist was grounded in one place. And I thought actually what would raise the stakes even more and add that level of tension and conflict is if I didn't keep him in one place and actually made them go around Europe during the war. I mean, that has so much built in conflict in a way, which maybe as a writer, that's a bit of a cheat. It's like, I didn't have to create the conflict. It was there, (laughs) but I thought, well, that would be really interesting. And then I thought to myself as well, um, you know, that because that then it just, it has so many like kind of, well, what happens and will they survive and will this work and can they keep working and this and that. And And as it kind of escalates and as the years go by, you sort of see what happens, right? So I put them on a train and I sent them all over the continent. And that really changed things a lot. I mean, Lena had always felt kind of out of place and whatnot. But again, I just think having it on that train and having the contrast between this opulent, um, beautiful circus and kind of like war-torn Europe was what changed it for me. Yeah. And for I, agents in the end. <laughs> see, I don't think that's a cheat. I think that's you simply throwing your characters into a high-stakes situation, which is kind of what we do. Yeah. And yeah. And what, what I love about this is all the way through this process, those characters, that core of characters has always been there. So let, let's talk about how you work on the characters, because as I understand it, you create mood boards for your characters and then you create little situations for them to see how they react. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, all characters are different. They're all unique in their own ways. And I, for me, what works for me is really putting them in situations and kind of thinking to myself, well, how would Theo react if this happened? And what would Lena's reaction be? What would she say? And this is actually something I learned when, so I've done a little bit of playwriting and I don't know if you're familiar with the Royal Court Theatre in London. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was on their kind of beginner playwright scheme. Wow. And this was an exercise we did when we were creating characters. Uh, we kind of had to put them in all these different situations. And what was great was I remember our teacher putting us on the spot and saying, okay, well, what would so-and-so do if it was pouring rain outside? Like, you know, some people will get a scowl on their face and think, oh, I'm not leaving. I'm not doing it. Whereas other people will embrace it and just say, they'll grab their umbrella and they'll go. And I think it's so telling. Um, You know, another one that I love is if you saw an elderly person struggling with their groceries to cross the street, what would you, what would this character do? Right. Mm. And characters would do different things. Um, And so I would build out, um, I'd build out characters that way. And then I, I, again, I would create mood boards. I would use a program called Canva on my computer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I just create a board and I would, you know, put what kinds of clothes would they wear? What kinds of books are they reading at the time? What do they eat? Like all that. And and then they would just become whole and real in my mind. And are you doing that 
before you're putting pen to paper or are you doing this as you're writing and developing the story? It's a mix of both. So I definitely have an idea of what I want them to be like when I start, but then they surprise me and sometimes take on a life of their own. And you learn a little bit more about your characters as you write, or at least I do. I don't know if that's true for for everybody, but um, but yeah, it's a mix of both. You mentioned Lena previously, your main character, and she's a wheelchair user. Um, what were the challenges in writing someone? Because uh, she has polio as well, which is what mm. is essentially put in the wheelchair. Mm. Am I right in thinking polio, you've studied that or it, you, it's something yeah. that you know about? T- tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, so a little bit. So uh, my backstory, kind of, well, just briefly, is I studied uh, science at university. So it was a it was a pre-med program. I never wanted to be a doctor. It's funny. Everybody always assumes I wanted to, but I j- just really enjoyed science. Mm. Uh, so we did a lot of, you know, chemistry and biology and things like that. And one of the courses I did was all about the history of medicine. And uh, we touched on vaccine development. Mm. Um, and so obviously, one of the like most prominent vaccines that was developed in recent history was the polio vaccine. And so we learned all about kind of the history of the disease and, you know, it mainly afflicted children and things. Um, And that just kind of like stayed in my mind. And I thought, oh, well, what if, again, it's about that contrast and that tension, Uh, you know, when I was creating the circus, initially, I thought, well, maybe Lena can be very studious and she was and she still is. But that to me wasn't really enough. And then I kind of like delved into the recesses of my brain. And I thought, well, what if she actually couldn't you know, move in the way that a lot of these circus performers move? And what if she feels out of place? What would that look like? And so because of the time period, again, I was like, okay, this, it wouldn't be out of reach for her to have had polio and, you know, not had the ability to kind of walk. And so she ends up using a wheelchair and, but there were a lot of challenges with that. Right. And I think it's, it's 2023 right now as we're recording this. And there's so many conversations happening about diversity and inclusion. And I think they're well overdue and very much needed. But there's, there are also a lot of, uh, you know, people who and critics will say things like, well, if you haven't personally experienced something yourself, you shouldn't be writing about it. And I disagree with that. I, I think that as fiction writers, um, it's our job to do our research mm. and to uh, do the best that we possibly can do our interviews. You know, I worked with sensitivity readers and things, but at the end of the day, we're writing fiction. And if we only wrote things that we knew, well, A, it wouldn't be fiction. And B, it's, I mean, that just kind of defeats the purpose of of being an artist, I think, you know, and that's, that's a view that I hold very strongly to. Um, I also think that, there is no one character that exists in any body of work anywhere that is going to be representative of an entire population. Yes. So, you know, there's there's definitely been people who have pushed back and said, this is wrong. You shouldn't have done this. You never used a wheelchair yourself. Completely acknowledge that. I haven't. I'll never know what it's like to live that life. I won't. But I think a lot of people miss the nuance. Um, I have spent a lot of time volunteering pretty much my entire life uh, working with kids and adults with disabilities. So Mm -hmm. I have kind of experienced that world as an observer. Um, But the other thing too, is that, uh, you know, one, one bit of feedback that I get a lot is saying, well, her life would have been great if, um, well, I don't want to give away any spoilers or whatnot, but they're frustrated with the character as a whole. And I'm like, well, you know, Lena had polio, which is very different to being born with a genetic disease, Mm -hmm. Um, they're just different things. Right. And so what ends up, again, can't give away any spoilers, although I feel like I did just by saying that, um, (laughs) what, 
transpires in the novel with Lena was really very common for children with polio at the time. Yeah. It was just normal for that to happen. Um, and so I think, again, people miss the nuance. They see one thing and they think, oh, well, this person did this and why isn't it like this? And it's like, well, everyone's experience is different. And I think we need to celebrate all individual experiences. And lastly, what I will say is the time period, you know, um, the language and the treatment of people uh, with disabilities at the time mm-hmm. was so different to what it is now. And it's it's improved so much for the better. But, you know, I also felt I can't bring 20, you know, modern day thinking into 1930s, 1940s yeah. Europe. It, it doesn't work for me. So. No, absolutely. I completely agree. Completely agree. I want to talk about, because uh, I understand you're very sporty, yeah. and I've heard you say somewhere that the what, the best training that you had for writing was sport. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I love sports. I actually love sports more than writing, which is funny to admit. <laughs> Everyone's always surprised when they hear that, especially because they're like, oh, but they're so different. You're writing, you're just sitting in one place. And then sports, you're kind of running around all over the place. But yeah, no, we just grew up, me, my brothers and I, uh, our parents were really into sports and athletics. So they put us in everything. Um we skated, we skied, my brothers played hockey, uh, and I skated, uh, competitive, like I skated competitively for a number of years, maybe like 14 or 15 years. Wow. Wasn't, I mean, didn't go to a national level or anything, but like I was part of teams and things and competed and would go around and whatnot. Um, and then I also ran a lot and I still run and I love it. And I've been running since I was, I think I joined the school athletics team when I was maybe nine or 10. And then I just really never stopped. And, you know, I went to like provincial kind of like state area championships. Um, I run half marathons, 10Ks, things like that. It's just a lot of fun for me. And I love watching sports. I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. And I think it is probably some of the best training for writing a book you can ever get because you have to be so dedicated and so consistent and, um, often things don't go your way, right? It's like, <laughs> especially with some, well, with, with any kind of sporting performance, it's like, you'll mm. see a Wimbledon final and you'll only see that final. You'll just see that match. You won't see the hours and hours and hours of practice that led up to it. Right. And so you sort of see, well, like an end result. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like that consistent every day, um, day after day, kind of like not quitting. That's what led to that. And right. that's sort of how I approached writing. Not that my book is the equivalent of like winning a Wimbledon final. I mean, I wish it was, but it's, we're not there yet. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but I kind of just said to myself, all right, if this is what you want to do, because I didn't study creative writing at university or anything. Right. Um, I just kind of was working and I'd always wanted to do something creative, but hadn't figured out what that looked like yet. And I thought to myself, when I landed on wanting to do a novel, I just said, all right, well, this is going to be a very difficult task. But if you want to do it, you just got to chip away at it step by step. And every writer is different. There's no one way to do it. Some people will sit down and they'll have a whole draft in a month. Mm. That didn't happen to me, right? And you know that. But I just did it every day. I wasn't in a position where I could go back to school full time. I wasn't in a position to quit my job, which is most writers, I think, can't. And so I just said, all right, if you have 25 minutes during your lunch break, that's when you're going to write. If you have 20 minutes before work, that's when you're going to write and you're going to do it every day. You come home from work instead of watching TV, you're going to write and it'll be 500 words. 
Yeah. But then you're 500 words closer to the next, you know, chapter. And that that's really what kept it going was just that consistency where I thought I've done this before in sport. I can do it with a book. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And when you're not moving about, I understand you're a fan of meditation as well. So yeah, how yeah, does I love that, meditating. T- t- tell us about that and how, and how that's affected your writing as well. Yeah. I don't know uh, if this is going to, I don't know how this is going to come across because, uh, you know, meditation has its fans, it has, it has its critics and whatnot. I think it's really difficult for people to do because essentially you're not doing anything, right? The whole point I think of meditation is kind of sit and quiet your mind and, we live in a world where everybody is so on and we're always, you know, looking at things and replying to things and getting notifications that it's, it's really difficult to kind of just sit down and close your eyes. I think, or at least it was for me initially when I started, but um, you know, I've, I have always been into yoga and things like that. My mom is a part-time yoga instructor as well. And she's been to kind of like um, breath work and meditation too. So I learned a lot from her, but essentially I kind of just, I read so much about the benefits of it. I thought, oh, I'd be a fool to not try it. It's free. I can do it anywhere I want. (laughs) And there was a lot going on. This is about seven or eight years ago when I started. There's a lot going on. Um, Really busy with work. I was working on this book and I was in the middle of like a transatlantic move. There was just so much stuff. And I thought, well, I need a way to kind of manage this better. And so I started. And again, it was kind of like writing a novel. It was not easy. it wasn't easy. And I think sometimes people give up too soon because mm. things are hard. But if you just get past that kind of like, kind of beginner, like hiccup step, yeah. it ends up being really rewarding. So now I meditate a lot. And I I started using, I started out using an app like everybody does, right? I think I used Headspace or something at the time. Right. I needed the guided meditations. I needed music. But now I don't need any of that. Like I'll just sit in silence and it's actually very comfortable. And I can really feel myself like, you know, being calm. And I, I, it's actually just part of my life now in the sense that um, it just helps me stay very grounded. And uh, writing is a roller coaster. I mean, mm-hmm. like you can just fall it. You've probably heard this. I mean, you can fall into the trap of comparing yourself to everybody else and yeah. you reach one goal and then you think, well, what's next? And well, okay, well, it was a bestseller here, but it wasn't there. And I didn't make this list and you can just go in circles. And I promised myself that I would do my best to not do that. And I think for the most part, I've kept that promise, but largely because I've made the effort to make sure I just keep my head on straight, I guess, you know? <laughs> Very good. Very good. I've also heard um, some advice that you give them writers, which is don't be a victim. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I, I think uh, I will hear this as well. And it's hard not, it's hard not to take things personally. Yeah. Um, getting the rejections is hard. I went through it. I went, I think I went through it more than most people do, to be honest. Um, but instead of sort of saying things like, well, this agent doesn't know what they're talking about. And this editor has bad taste. Uh, all things I've heard, you know, mm. or seen on writer Twitter or whatnot, right? Like I get it. It's hard. Um, if you're getting those, those bits of feedback, you know, maybe instead of being a victim and blaming other people for not having a book deal or so, you should look at your work and ask yourself, okay, why isn't it, why isn't it resonating? What am I missing or so? And 
I say that with a grain of salt because let's be honest, publishing is a business. Publishers need to make money. I think this is something that some writers miss too. If publishers can't figure out a way to sell your work, everybody's going to lose out, right? Mm -hmm. So of course, there are things that are more commercially viable from the outset. I mean, by sheer virtue of writing about a circus and World War II, that put me in a position, in a more favorable position than a lot of other writers who are, you know, writing literary fiction, say, or something that's a little more experimental or out there. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm not saying write to market, but also, yeah, don't be a victim. If if your work isn't hitting the right notes with the right people, take a class, get feedback, hire a freelance editor, right? Do something rather than complain, 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 right? Because it's like, well, the time's going to pass anyway. You can keep complaining or you can try and do something about it. That's just the way I see it. Very good. I also saw somewhere that you're developing a scholarship for underrepresented writers. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us about that? Yeah, a little bit. So essentially, I'm just uh, in talks actually with the place where I did uh, my uh, course. So I ended up doing a night course at um, Curtis Brown Creative. So Curtis Brown is a literary agency, which I'm sure you've heard of them. Mm. But they started running writing courses a couple of years ago. And I was living in London at the time. And I just thought, well, this would give me a bit of structure and training because I really had no idea what I was doing. And it would allow me to meet other people who write. Um, and, you know, I could work with them in workshop work and whatnot. So I applied to, at the time, I think they were all kind of, you had to actually submit an application to get in. Like you couldn't just sign up and pay for it, which I think is good because there was like a layer of sort of, you know, it was a merit-based course. Uh, I didn't get in the first time. Um, and then I applied again and I don't even know if I got in the second time. I think I think I did. I can't remember, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't an overnight kind of you're in immediately. I was just sort of like right on the bubble. And then they let me know they're like, you're in. So I was like, Oh, great. Um, And I loved it, but it took me a year to save up enough money to even apply for the course because it was very expensive and living in London is expensive. And so, I mean, I personally got so much out of that course. It was so good. And so I'm, um, yeah, I'm working with them hopefully to fund a spot for another writer who, um, you know, may not have the financial means to do so because it's a lot of money. Mm. Um, and that's just a huge barrier to entry for so many people. Um, and I was lucky, like I'm lucky. I have a, I have a job. It pays me relatively well. I don't rely solely on my writing income to live. Mm. Um, a lot of people aren't in that position. So I just thought, you know what, I'm in a fortunate position. I got lucky with this. Um, I want to pay it for it a little bit. So hopefully you'll be able to like sort out all the details and um, that'll be live at some point this year. Fantastic. And yeah. what's coming next after the circus train? Um, well, I'm working on a second book right now. Uh, it is another historical fiction, different time period though. So it's set between Paris, kind of Belle Epoque Paris, the tail end of that period and uh, actually modern day New York. So it's a dual timeline. Um, mm-hmm. And there's kind of like two different stories that end up coming together. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to write. I've really been enjoying it. Um, and I, I'm just looking forward to see what comes of that. But we did a one book deal. I didn't have any ideas at the time we went out on submission with Circus Train. And, you know, I was like, I don't know that this is going to be a career thing for me. I'm just going to see what happens with this book and see if there's interest in a second one. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, we'll send it out hopefully soon and 
they hopefully get a deal. <laughs> Fantastic. Fingers crossed. Well, if previous form is anything to go by, your determination will see you through. Uh, Amita, thank you so much for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again soon. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure. I love, love the story, Mark, about getting lost in London. <laughs> an entire career blossoming as a result. We talked last week about doing these walking tours. If you heard the extended version of the podcast, yes. talked about how you might do a walking book launch tour. But the idea that um, Amita was, was, was walking around London, got lost, and then discovered this delightful place which just opened up her imagination. And sometimes it's just about getting lost in London, isn't it, and seeing what happens. Well, it's, it's about having that story radar on wherever you go you're kind of ming, 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 ming. you're always looking for characters for situations for places for smells you know this is this is why i carry a notebook with me everywhere i go or if something occurs to me you know and the notebook's not here then i send an email to myself or put a thing in notes or whatever i think it's essential to just have your story brain always engaged because the the weird things that are strange and specific to you that you think no one else will understand or those strange, quirky little things that you saw in the street or something that someone said, they will resonate in a way that you you will be completely surprised by. You know, uh, it's always the, the weird stuff that I put in my stories that people go, I, I really related to that or I totally got that or whatever. So, yeah. Develop that radar, that story radar, because, yeah, you will get lost and ask for directions one day and then you'll have a conversation with someone that could, as happened with Amita, completely change your life. And it's um, it takes a little getting used to because we all, especially if we do the same thing every day, you know, if we get on, I used to get on the same train, take the same walk to work, sit at the same desk, you know, and it kind of numbs you to the world around you. So... I would do things in my in my lunch break if I wasn't writing. I would go for a walk and just, you know, go somewhere different that I'd never been before. Visit a market or, you know, a a a a, a library or a, a shop that you've never been in before and just take it in and learn something new because it's all grist to the mill. Yeah. And for me as well it's about the difference between searching versus discovering. So as authors, yeah. we're often looking for something we're searching for something and we we get frustrated because we can't find it you know it's like the kids easter egg hunt and they don't find that that one chocolate that you've stuck in some obscure place and and you find it six months later if you had that you're like, oh my god <laughs> look at that is that still there is it edible that's the thing i always ask mm. but but the difference is it's between searching versus discovering and and amita's experience of getting lost in london is a really good reminder to all of us to sometimes just show up and allow what what is there to be discovered to be found by us yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and to be just be present in the moment of allowing yourself to let whatever needs to kind of appear appear and go wow that was cool and it's the difference between i remember doing these two different types of holidays where one holiday was very planned like it was tra traveling like driving around we would go in different places in new zealand actually and we planned the first week very, you know, very structured and we had to be there on this yeah. day and we booked all of the accommodation advance. Anyway, it was, it was a nightmare. We had kids in the back, nothing went to plan. We got stressed because we weren't following the schedule. And in, after the first week we thought, you know, this is ridiculous. We're meant to be enjoying ourselves. It's meant to be a, a beautiful experience. So we said, let's just literally roll the dice. 
let's just decide. We wake up when we wake up, we drive as much as we drive. And when we get somewhere and we don't quite know where to go, we go right, left or right, I don't know, left. And it was literally just fate. We just let we just let the road take us where it wanted to take us. And I've got to say, if you compared the two weeks, the second week was full of surprises, delight, mon- unbelievable things that we would never yeah. have discovered off the beaten track. And it was way more of an experience. And when you think about what writing is, for us as authors, writing is all about the experience of writing. So which one would you prefer? You know, um, so it's good good to remember that sometimes you just need to get lost and then see what happens. It's um, there was a uh, there was a book by Danny Wallace called Yes Man. Oh yeah, just, I read he that just book. Said, yeah, yeah. And it became a movie as well, and yeah, he just says yes to everything. Yeah, and it and it just opens doors, you know. Totally. And I think it's uh, whenever I've done that. I've I've never regretted well maybe occasionally <laughs> hardly ever regretted it yeah you know you, you always come. discover exactly you always discover something it's a, always a good idea now talking of going on a journey Segway, I love the fact that Ami- yeah you see I did that oh Amita <laughs> talked about everything changed for her when she put her protagonist on a journey and I found that really fascinating she was like stuck in this one place and. Uh, and you you talked about you know the importance of of taking a character out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a book called The Circus Train, the train didn't exist for the first four years of development. <laughs> it was what was it called, The Illusionist Daughter? So she had her characters there, and they were kind of in one place. And I think it is, um, you know, in this case, it's a literal. She put them on a, a literal train and sent them on a literal journey. You know. It, in 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 the context of the story, but I think it's something that we have to do with our characters, which is push them out of their comfort zone. You know, you it's that crossing the threshold thing that they, they talk about in the hero's journey, is that you the, the hero's journey. There's that word again, journey. You know, you do have to prod them out of the door sometimes and put them out their comfort zone, and then test them, test them, test them, test them, and that's that's when story happens. That's when stuff starts to come together. So when she was getting those rejections saying, we like it, but it's falling a bit flat. I think that might be why. I think that mm. might be why, because, you know, you've got, I mean, wonderful characters and, and you know, beautifully, um, you know, beautiful location. But if it's not going anywhere, uh, then that's that's a problem. And yeah. I, I, I feel a lot of writers, particularly first-time writers, we love our characters so much, we don't want to test them or hurt them or harm them. We readers, we love that. That's what we want. Absolutely. And and this idea of no movement, I think, is really important as well, because we all know what happens to a pond or a you know, a body of water that doesn't have any movement. It becomes stagnant. And that I think a lot of people if you're listening to this right now and you think, my novel feels stagnant, check and see if anything's not moving in it. And the yeah. thing I like about this idea of a journey as a backdrop is it gives us a template because a journey has a start and an end and it forces us into a model of like, well, where do they start and where where am I going to? And what happens? What are the milestones along the way? Where, what's the middle part of the journey? It kind of gives us a bit of a sense of structure. I really admire people. Um, you know, there's a, a couple of uh, movies that came out during COVID, uh, which really played on the isolation. I saw this one last night. I didn't see it, but I saw the premise of it. It was an idea of a couple, a married couple, um, I think the idea was that they were going to get be given $5 million if they could stay in the same blank room for four months together. Oh God. <laughs> that's the premise <laughs> of the movie. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a challenge from a writing perspective. 
great for in terms of set costs and the like, but man, is that a hard thing to do? Challenge. But even within that, there's a journey. It's a time, you know, it's an the emotional day journey. one. You're, you're, you're putting people in exactly. out of their comfort zone. And it's, exactly it's, that thing, it's, not, it's not just about literally going on a journey. I've got my backpack. Yeah. You know, and the car, the car boots filled up and we're going off on a drive. It's like, it's anything which you can kind of chronologically, um, time, time stamp. And I think that for me is so important. If you haven't got that in your novel, it could be the one thing that's, that's not moving it forward, literally, because that's what, it, what we do the, when we go the, on a journey. The thing we talk about all the time in the Academy is that story is about a character's journey of change. They start as one thing and they end up as essentially the opposite of that thing. And yeah. that's that's what we love in stories. We love to see someone go on an adventure, change, and then we all learn something from that. That's yeah. what we react to. That's what resonates with us. Totally. Journeys, journeys are three-dimensional as well. It's, uh, it's wow. We could do a whole course on just journeys. Can we, Mark? My gosh. My gosh. Mm -hmm. But folks, if you found this found this. Uh, these chats that we do after the interviews are interesting. We do an extended version of them. And today, if you are an Academy member or a patron of the podcast, we're going to talk about how it took a meter six years to write a novel, um, how you have to believe in your characters. We're going to talk about what uh, sub agent submission rounds are. This is something I mean to talk <laughs> about, which is an interesting <laughs> idea of rounds. I think it's a very important thing to grasp as you're going on that journey. Uh, we're going to talk about how any university degree or any form of education is always of value within your writing. We're going to talk about how sport is like writing, the importance of writing every day consistently. And Mark, we're going to delve into something that I know is, is, is something I didn't think we'd be talking about four or five years ago. We're going to talk about meditation and how it can help you writing. And Mark's going to talk a little bit about his experiences and I'll, I'll delve into that as well. And finally, we're going to talk about the importance of not being a victim. If we can all learn to do that, wow, what, what, what rewards await us as a writer? So if any of that excites you and you also were excited by the idea of supporting this podcast, then please, please, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, sign up to become a patron and you'll get access to all of our extended editions. So Mr. Stay, a quick reminder for everyone uh, about the 200 words a day in May, there's time to sign up up along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com if you would like to try and win May, which means writing every day in May, minimum 200 words or 25,000, 30,000, whatever you might might want to do, 100,000. I'm sure there's someone out there that want to do that. Uh, but join it by uh, coming along and uh, and then we'll be documenting how everyone's getting on during May on this podcast. And Mr. Stay, how can people find us on social media and the like. Social media, come and find us at bestsellerexperiment.com. That's our website. You can contact us there. On Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Come and say hi. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, been inspired by our guests, including Amita and all our amazing guests, uh, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review wherever you get your podcast because all that stuff helps the algorithms and makes us more visible and helps Absolutely. us help more writers. And thank you to all our podcast team, to Dave, to JD and Lisa, who will make this show stay on the road every week. And thanks to you for listening. And we look forward to chatting again with you next week. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.